Um, so we are reading from the Gospel of John. It's page 1066 in your Bibles. And I'm reading um, verses 1 to 26. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychra, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become well, indeed the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman's the woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water so that I don't I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water." He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, not in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. One of the most wonderful sights is when one sees a mother or father playing with their child. Dad kicking a ball with the son or mom kicking a ball with the son. Dad and children playing cricket on the beach while the mother is just sunbathing. 
When a baby is playing in a way that is meaningful for the baby, we see smiles on the face of the parents. And often the parents will make noises that they normally wouldn't make because, you know, well, it's not for adults, but because they're relating to the child, they would make funny noises and pull funny faces. It's natural for this interaction between children and their parents. And this lays a fundamental, a foundation for their relationship of the future. The relationship between parents and children are formed by this interaction. This relationship is justified, is justifiably expected by the parents, but this relationship is absolutely fundamental to the needs of the child. This interaction between parents and children is vital for the children and expected and justified by the parents. Jesus, when speaking to this woman of Samaria, he says to her, there's a vital interaction between us and God, and it's called worship. God is looking for people who will worship him. Here is something that God is justifiably expecting from us. Something that is absolutely needed and useful for you. God expects it and we actually need it. Absolutely need it. Worship is not just for the benefit of God. For God's enjoyment. We don't come to worship God to enjoy, for him to enjoy that relationship, which he does. Worship actually is essential for our well-being. Do you recall the first commandment? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. When God calls us to worship him, he's not being selfish. He's not thinking about himself. He actually has our welfare in mind. My welfare as an individual, our welfare as a community of God's people. For not only is worship far more than coming to church and taking the sacraments, but worship, true worship, influences the whole of our life. Today, I just want to say a few things about worship that we find as we see this encounter between Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Worship in spirit. Authentic worship, says Jesus, has to do very little with externals and a lot to do with our inner being. Now, in many, I think most religions, as soon as you come to mention worship, you are confronted with procedures, liturgies, actions, forms, words, etc. But in the Bible, we're confronted straight away with the words with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For worship, we're confronted with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We can kneel in the most beautiful church, join in the most excellent liturgy, listen to some wonderful singing that just blows our minds. But that is not necessarily worship. Externals 
are not important. They do matter because we're human and we're influenced by the externals and nice building and nice music. I often listen to some songs and just secular songs and my heart is lifted up and I say, Lord, how wonderful you've given us the opportunity to create music like this. We're human. And these externals do influence us, but at the end of the day, that's not necessarily worship. The incarnation is going to make it possible for us to worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, it's imminent. The time is now come. The hour is coming. And now is. Because of the incarnation, it'll be possible to worship God in spirit and in truth. Before the incarnation, rituals were so important. In the Old Testament, how did they worship? Every detail of their worship was prescribed. Even the clothes that the priests wore were prescribed in every detail. Since Pentecost, no visuals are given. How shall we worship? We look at the New Testament. What do we find? Very little. In the Old Testament, the pattern was there. But now, it's in spirit and in truth. When our spirits are touched by the, are, are, are touched by the Holy Spirit... We have an expanded capacity, a deep hunger to worship God. I recall when I had a conversion experience, I wanted to go and worship God. I didn't know how, but I wanted to worship God. He was real to me. And I wanted to witness to God. I didn't know what to say. But he touched my life. Our desire to worship and the joy of worship is the first sign that we have a right relationship with God. There's a great desire within us to express our appreciation to God, to give him praise, and to do it together. Blessed are the people who are able to have this relationship with God. All these emotions and thoughts and expressions of our worship are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Even Holy Communion given us by Jesus, very little detail. How do we celebrate communion? We're not given. We've got a liturgy. It's a fine liturgy and it's helpful, but the New Testament doesn't give it. The important is we come with the right heart before God. The elements are there to remind us as human beings. God is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. He is entitled to our worship we are enriched by this worship. So we ask ourselves, why do we worship God? When do we worship God? We should ask ourselves, why do I worship? When do I worship? Look at the why. Is it because he's God and Savior? Or is it because you like the church? You like the people? Now, it's wonderful we like the church and the people, but why? I remember coming across a lady and uh, oh, she said, this new vicar, I don't like him. She stopped going to church. She didn't like the new vicar because he preached the, the, you know, a, a, a good message. And uh, I said, well, but so you don't go to church now? No, no, she said. I said, but if you trust God and want to worship God, why have you stopped? I don't like the vicar. What's it got to do with the vicar? Do we worship because we like the church or the vicar or the building or the surroundings? 
Do you want to worship because things are going well for you? Everything is fine. And you want to feel, you know, just uplifted. Your business is doing well. Your wife loves you. Your children are behaving. Your money is in the bank. You've earned some more money. You've won the lottery. Whatever it is. Is that the reason? Or do you want to want come to worship God because you say, well, I better be, keep on the right side of God. I remember before I became a Christian, I, I was a little bit, well, I was slightly religious. I thought I should pray. I would kneel at my bedside and say my prayer. Why? To keep in touch, to make sure I've done my business with God and he'd be okay with me. But when I had a conversion experience, I wanted to worship God. Prayer took on a new meaning. Why? Because God was real. Why do we worship? When? Always? Whatever the circumstances, or like a spoiled child who is full of laughter and fun when things are going fine, but when you don't give the God, I hate you. <laughs> is it when God is giving us what we want, or because God is God? When? When running away from danger? Well, actually... Going to God when you're running away from danger is a good thing. A child runs to the parent when running away from danger. It's a sensible thing, of course. But is that the only time? I've come across people who come to church because something has gone drastically wrong. Now, we welcome them and we encourage them. We don't criticize them. We seize the opportunity to say, yes, I will pray for you. But actually, that relationship with God is not just when you're in danger or when you have problems. A lady knocked at the vicarage when I was in Macclesfield. She was desperate. She wanted to go to church to be alone with God, but the church was shut because, of course, we couldn't keep the church open because of vandals. And I went to the church with her. She wanted to be alone with God because she just received dreadful information. It's right when we have a problem to run to God. But is that the only time we go? Run to God because of a problem? You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament? Confronted with being, you know, thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, listen, king. Whether God saved us or not is irrelevant to us. As far as we're concerned, he's God. We will worship him and obey him and him only. He is God. What he does with us is not a problem to us. Have you reached that point in relation with God? Well, in a sense, you worship because he is God, not because he gives you what you want. I went to see this friend of mine, Hugh Cantley. He was in a dreadful state. He was actually in a, a hospital to give his wife some rest because he had lots of things wrong with him. In a wheelchair, everything was wrong with him. And uh, I thought I'd just go and I heard I went to see him and to pray with him and encourage him. Not only to encourage him. Encourage him. He was full of the joy of the Lord. Only one complaint I have, he said. They resuscitated me. I was on my way to heaven, he said. And they brought me back again. And I said, don't you ever dare do that again. <laughs> we spent a couple of hours praising God, reflecting on the past, on the good time, on the difficult times. Why? Because God is God. Do we worship because 
of situations and circumstances or because he is God? Do we worship because he gives us sweeties or because he's God? Paul's comment. I appeal to you in Romans 12, he says, by the mercies of God, offer to him appropriate worship. I appeal to you because of all the mercies of God. I wish we were in Africa or Asia. Because at this point, I would go to Romans and spend the next hour going through the mercies of God. But I can't do it because we're British. We've got a time to keep, and I've got some coffee and some ashes to enter. But Paul says, look at the mercies of God. I look back, he says, all the wonderful mercies of God. What is the only sensible thing for me to do? To praise him. Worship. God is looking for people who will worship him. What do we understand? God is looking, yes. Because sadly, it is not within our nature naturally to worship God. God is looking for people. In worship, God is offering. But do you see that God is offering to you blessing and encouragement? The result of having this experience, amazing relationship with God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the remarkable mercies of God. The phrase, God is looking for people who will worship in spirit and truth. God is looking for people on whom he can bestow his blessings. He actually wants to bestow blessings upon us. And sadly, sometimes people are not ready or willing. They can't give him the trouble. My elder brother Tony and his wife Colleen adopted a young boy from South America. They were looking to bestow love and affection on a child. They hadn't got any children of their own. A friend of mine, he just married and he couldn't couldn't have children. And he said, after a few years, we've got a good home. We want to give a home to some child or children. So they adopted two boys. Why? To give them love, to give them a blessing, to enrich their lives. They had something to give to enrich their lives. God wants to enrich us in worship. God wants to enrich us. Jesus said to this woman, lady, he said, God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not looking for a, a monarch to subject relationship. Rather, a parent to child relationship. Oh, there's awe and amazement in the process. And yet, there is that love and affection. We look at scripture. What is true worship? We read in Luke's gospel. He came to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Again, Paul, you do not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but receive the spirit of adoption, whereby you can cry, Abba, Father. True worship is a relationship with a God who cares and loves. Not the expression, in spirit and truth. Not two different things, in spirit and truth. And truth is important. True worship is from within. When we come to communion, 
we remember and we worship as God instructed us in spirit and truth. Truth is important. Somebody said, uh, when I was in Bristol training for the ministry, and I was in a group of people, and we were a Methodist minister there, he said, oh, what's needed is sincerity. All we need is sincerity. I said, no. Sincerity is not enough. Jesus didn't say sincerity. He said in spirit and truth. And they're two different words. Sincerity is lichrina. Truth is aletheia. And just use truth, aletheia. The British Railways did an advert some years ago. They just introduced a new quick line, fast train from Liverpool to London. And were advertising. I remember seeing it on television. And you saw this man, I think it was um, Spike Milligan. He's standing in this platform, a small stage, and the platform, and he's excited. And he's saying, there's a train coming, the big train, the new train. He said, and you're excited. I've got a ticket. I'm going to London. And all of a sudden, the train comes whizzing past and doesn't stop. He was sincere. He hadn't read the information. It said it's a fast train. He doesn't stop at all the stations. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. The truth is, if God has gone to trouble to reveal to us what he expects from us, can we be sincere if we say, we're not going to bother what you say, we're going to do it our way. When I want to buy Margaret a present, the first thing I do is, I don't say, what do I think she should like? What do I think she'd like? She's a woman, for goodness sake. Not like us, men. We're simple creatures. <laughs> we are. I listen. We're going past shops and say, oh, isn't that beautiful? I put it out there in my mind. <laughs> Trouble is the next minute I've forgotten. What is it? <laughs> so now I... Write it down. I carry this with me. And a little, little pen, you see, I carry it with me. And surreptitiously, I make a note of it. If I want to please God, the first thing I ask you, what does God really want? Because what he wants is not a selfish wanting. You cannot worship God in sincerity if you can't be bothered to worship him in the way that he tells you. And directs you. God is looking for you who will worship him. In spirit and in truth. It's our privilege to be able to meet like this. We're fortunate we have people here who put a lot of time and effort. I'm so grateful for people who choose the music. It's so uplifting. But you know, I'm not bothered if sometimes the songs are not to my taste. Because I think, no... Somebody is using those words, and maybe it's a taste of other people. And I seek to worship God. Why? Because God is God. Let's continue to pray that day by day, Sunday by Sunday, we meet here in our worship. We will open our hearts. Worship is where God wants to enrich us and bless us. Let us pray. Father, sometimes it's hard to understand. Can it really be true? You want to bestow all these blessings upon us who are inadequate and sometimes even ungrateful. But Father, we thank you. We praise you. We are grateful. 
Lead us, inspire us. Enable us to give you the worship that is due to your holy name. We pray and we give thanks in the name of Christ, our wonderful Savior. Amen.